This is the soundtrack series. Yeah, this is the soundtrack series. I'm Dana Rossi. This episode, I'm talking to Daniel Sears. He is an editor. He is a filmmaker. But I'm talking to him because his record collection is insane. So we're talking about collecting vinyl, what that means to the truly serious vinyl collector and a trip through one of the most incredible music collections I have ever come across. I wanted to ask you to do this because you are the most, mm, anal's not a nice word. I, uh, <laughs> I was, I, <laughs> not always, sometimes, right. um, but uh, meticulous Yeah. record collector that I know. And I, I, I see a lot of, you know, all these like, I think I saw something in Slate that was, you know, oh, this person, you know, first of all, they're all men. They're all always men, yeah. you know, who have these crazy record collections and stuff. And like the people who have the walls that move, you know, like in a like in archives and, and whatever else. But see, that's the thing is I feel like those kinds of people just collect a thing. Yeah. They're collecting this plastic disc to put it on that shelf to be able to say, I have this here. Yep. Whereas I don't feel that about you. And I feel that you collect because you know exactly what is on each and every one of those records and you like it for a particular reason. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. It has always been uh, about the music for me. I think, um, you know, people who collect and then seal them up in bags and just put them on a shelf. uh, No, the records were created to be enjoyed. The records were created because an artist wanted to share music, wanted to share the experience of of the music with a listener. So to seal it up in a bag has always been, has always seemed kind of counterproductive to me. So yeah. um, I say that and that's 99% true of of my collection. There may be occasion, you know, maybe something that's really rare that I don't play all the time, but. Right, um, like what? Um, like I have some uh, 16 inch radio transcriptions. So before tape, on radio to record uh, broadcast radio shows, they would use acetate discs, just like you would an acetate um, test pressing of uh, of an album or or a song. And yeah. they're, they're 16 inch discs, and it's 15 minutes on each side of the disc on one side of a disc. So there are I have one in particular that's this uh, rare radio show called the Cliche Club, uh, a panel show kind of thing from 1950. And wow. uh, it's uh, an ABC American Broadcasting Company disc, um, and it's probably one of only a few um, recordings of that show, because it's it's like a it's like an acetate. So it, they would have recorded it in the studio for play later on, and used the discs to play it at its scheduled time over the network, and then they were done with the discs. So Where that, the fuck? Did you get that? <laughs> I got that on eBay um, at a time wow. a, f- a few years ago when you could still get them relatively cheaply. And then mm. kind of the market made it more expensive. You can still occasionally get them 
cheap. But I mean, that's the extraordinary case. In the majority of cases, that they're mass, what I have are, you know, your mass-produced vinyl, twelve-inch albums, and I believe they right. should be played and enjoyed. No, I I absolutely agree. And I'm actually go- um, I'm, I'm actually going through this this period now to get really dorky about the collection because I've I, I've been collecting for. Uh, almost 25 years seriously where I said, hey, I'm going to be a record collector. And over those 25 years, there have been many instances where there's been a weeding out of the collection, understandably. And I'm in a period now where I'm weeding through the collection, but I said to myself, I'm going to start at the beginning and make sure I listen to everything and really make a judgment on the album as a whole rather than just doing a needle drop on the tracks and saying, oh, well, this album's worth it or this album isn't worth it for whatever reason. And um, to your point of saying, knowing what's on each disc in the collection, yeah, I want to know what's on everything that I own. I, I, you know, I want that knowledge. I want to know what I have in my collection. Yeah, I'm that way too. And I, I mean, my collection is not nearly as big as yours, but I'm still also very picky about it. I don't want to just get 12 Bob Dylan records because I feel I should, because I actually feel I should not. I do have records, particularly 45s in my collection, that I wouldn't say I love because I I used to date a DJ a long time ago, Mm -hmm. and he told me something about, he's like, when you're shopping for like 45s, just buy something based on whether or not you like the cover art. And, you know, maybe you get lucky and you you find a song that you would have had no idea you would have liked and you never would have found otherwise. Right. But then, you know, if you don't like it, you're out two bucks. Right. So I did. I bought a ton of stuff based on what the... Co- it, it's how I have the 45 sit on my face Stevie Nicks. And uh, mostly because I was not going to not buy that 45. I mean, it's right there. But yeah. It's just it's daring you not to buy it. When I um, first started seriously collecting, you could still, because people were dumping all their record collections for compact discs. It's like late 80s, early 90s kind so of thing. So stupid. But for my benefit. So thank you very much, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. But you, um, my parents also used to, at that time, used to like to go to uh, household auctions and estate auctions. So Oh, yeah. So that was another place where I could just pick up boxes of records for like five bucks, which was oh great. Oh, my God. And you, you just get whatever it is. And it's a, lot of, it's a lot of polka and it's a lot of Christmas, but, you know. Do but, you have, you know what that made me think of? Hmm. Do you have the Ethel Merman disco album? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes, this interview can continue. Uh, this, <laughs> but see, I this have is what to I'm admit. talking about, people. He is serious. <laughs> but I have to admit, I only got that in the last couple of years. It was that was one of those things where that's okay. That was one of those things where I said I would really like to have this someday, but it just hasn't crossed my path yet. And I think that's another point to make. As far as the the search for me, I could, I feel like I could go on eBay and get Ethel Merman's disco album and pay money for it, but it's more about digging around in that junk shop and having Ethel pop up unexpectedly in a box when you're looking for it and have been looking for it for a few years. That's that's part of the joy for me too. Besides listening to music, it's like, oh shit, here's Ethel. This is this is getting this is getting bought. <laughs> oh. 
When you had said you got uh, those uh, recordings on on eBay when I asked you about that before, and I was going to ask you the ratio of, because I feel like you're more of a dig and find rather than just buy on eBay. Because I always feel like that's how I got Buckingham Knicks eventually, uh-huh. um, was like I eventually got it on eBay because I felt like I had searched high and low. Yeah, I went to four stores. <laughs> and then I got tired and I just wanted it so bad. This is like the early aughts. And I right. was like, I'm going to get this record. And then it's like, I find it on eBay. And when it came in the mail, it also came with uh, Under the Pink on pink vinyl, Tori Amos. Nice. And I was very excited uh, because they finally came in the mail. And I, I remember this distinctly. Whenever they filmed Unbreakable is when those albums came in the mail because they were filming it in my building in Philly at the time. And these records came and I like yelled like, yay, or something like when I checked the mail and they're like, we're filming. And I was like, yeah, I live here. I can give a shit about Unbreakable or whatever it is you're doing. Right. So um, there was not that thrill of, oh, my God, I found Ethel Merman. Yeah. And I think I think that's because because I started when eBay wasn't an option and it was really about digging around the boxes and and in the instances of going to an estate sale or going to a garage sale and just buying everything it was about taking that gamble to stumble on something that you had never known before that just yeah. happened to be in the box that you would never have picked up and it's easy I, I think it's it's really easy it's almost too easy to research what you want and then wait for it to pop up on eBay. That said, I think there's, Mm -hmm. I think there's also, uh, (laughs) there's a degree to which you only wait so long for it to pop up in the boxes in the junk shop before you say, okay, I have to have dusty definitely. And I'm going to, uh, shell out the, the 35 bucks for the, exactly. The import press on eBay. Hmm. That's exactly. I said four stores. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I said. I went to four stores. Guys, four, four. Was this in one day? You did four stores in one day? No, I had this friend who kept claiming he saw it like, oh, yeah, I saw it at blah, blah, blah on (laughs) South Street. This is still Philly. And I'm like, really? And then I would go there and it wouldn't be there. Or, Or the guy there would be like, I feel like I saw it here recently. And it's like, you taunt me. I I knew. (laughs) But that's that whole thing about finding, you know, it's like, yeah, I can Google or put something on a wish list on eBay or whatever. And then eventually it's going to maybe show up in there. It's not as satisfying. It's it's not as satisfying because sometimes you're uh, sometimes I'm I'm not going to put this on anybody else. But sometimes I'm searching for a certain album for years. I know of its existence. And I'm just like, I really want uh Nilsson Sandman or something like that and then it hmm. it pops up and it's like oh my god this is fantastic yeah. this is the best day ever hey what's happening hey what's she how's your lady oh she's fine you know a little hemorrhoidal problem now and then but you know how if you let yourself get obsessed over a particular album it's not going to show up like that Buckingham Knicks thing it was not going to show up I think maybe if I had just backed off a little, I just had it in the back of my mind uh-huh. on a back burner, like, yeah, I am looking for this. Yeah, if, you know, if it, if it pops up. Right now, that record is Millie Jackson, Back to the Shit. If uh, it pops up, okay. Can I tell but you like, about, can, not, I tell, can I tell you a story about Back to Shit? Not to, uh, not yeah. to interrupt, but I can... T- I, no, tell me. Oh, my lovely husband, 
my lovely husband, Jason. He was walking home in Brooklyn one day, and he, I, he saw Back to the Shit just put out on the curb. But was somebody selling it or just out on the curb as in Just out on taken? the curb. I'm getting rid of this. Please take my albums. Oh, my God. And he didn't pick it up. Oh, my God. And he got home, and he said, yeah, there was this really weird album, this Millie Jackson. She was on a toilet, and... You know, I thought it looked weird, but I don't know. I didn't pick it up. And I was like, I I have to go in the other room right now and be sad. <laughs> I mean, some of us have made it through it and put up with a lot of bullshit for a lot of years, so we ain't in there. But the truth of the matter is, love stinks. I don't know why anybody in their right mind... What are some of, if you had to take five records... Mm out of that collection like you had to get rid of all the other ones because i don't it was now the law so you only have five records i am staring at my wall of records right now as if that's going to elicit uh any information i would have to say all right i get five i can do this nielsen schmilson by harry nielsen um i think probably the casino royale soundtrack the original the 1967 burt Bacharach soundtrack i am a huge fan of aretha franklin spirit in the dark um let's see what else can i do i got two more frank sinatra did this um album with um i'm gonna mispronounce his name because i'm not portuguese antonio carlos Robin, and he's uh it's not i was gonna say bono <laughs> um <laughs> it was called duets no, it was 1992. No, no this, go was, on. this was in the right. 60s, and he and he did it, and um, it's all it's all bossa nova covers, and he's so low key, and he even says in the liner notes on the back, he's like, I'm I I feel like I'm hardly singing here. I feel like I'm hardly singing, and uh, it's completely different. I feel that. How is that different than anything else he does? Well, but but he's always although, doing although he's always what? doing like bouncy. Yeah, come with me. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bang in the back of the plane kind of thing. But he I, was the yeah, very yes. But he was the king of you know speak sing. Yeah. Although early Sinatra, have you heard his? Uh, I only have eyes for you, and not like you know debop debop like not that arrangement, but the very straight like are the stars out tonight? No, like his like, very, like his fifties like kind of thing, like his his yeah, capital it, years versus a... the reprise years. Yeah. Yes. Um beautiful. I think it's on I think it's on uh We Small Hours of the Morning, which is a great, great yeah. Sinatra album. So I would put that one in the pile and then to round out my five. Oh Christ. Hold on. I'm walking away from the mic so that everybody knows. Hold on. <laughs> I have to look at the shelf because something's going to pop up. Oh, God damn it. I mean, Joni Mitchell Blue. Okay. That's a great album. Coming on Christmas, they're cutting down trees. They're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace. Oh, I wish I had a river. I could skate away. I would keep Buckingham Nicks because I worked so hard for stories. <laughs> um, I worked for this, damn it. I, yeah. Uh, my, my Fleetwood Mac rumors, mm -hmm. all right, to keep this going because it is signed by Ken Calais, uh, who produced it because he came to do soundtrack series at one point. Nice. Uh, you know what else I would save just because I, I th this is tied to. 
I would save. I have this Madonna borderline maxi single. Uh-huh. Uh And it's it's a 12 inch. It's borderline and then Lucky Star on uh, the B side. And what I love about it is what maxi single meant in 1983 uh-huh. or 1984, which was just like. Uh, the extended drum machine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. this this went for four bars. Now it's going to go for 16. <laughs> that's that's all it meant. It was nothing else. It was nothing different. That was it. Like, the cover is, like, her with, like, all this uh, black ribbon in her hair uh-huh. and everything. And I used to stare at that and be like, how do I achieve this in my hair? <laughs> Knowing that if I really tried it, I would have to have my hair cut out. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, something just because, like, I have such a strong memory of that. From being a kid, it's not that I'm necessarily like those are the two best Madonna songs, but it's just like, yeah, there's that. Uh-huh. Hmm. Oh well. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever told you about this. All right, I'm ready. But now I've got to figure out which one I would pick. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with the Barbra Streisand album because there was the Barbra Streisand album, the second Barbra Streisand album, the third album. My name is Barbara. My right. name is Barbara too. Right. right. Okay. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. I'm going to go with the Barbara Streisand album because, one, it was recorded in a church. I love that. Two, she was maybe 19, 20 years old uh, when it was recorded. Three, I can't listen to that record and do anything else like read because it's so distracting to me how technically superior her voice is. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's such a serious album. It's such a serious album. And... It's unbelievable. And I have a big Streisand thing. I don't think I ever told you. No. I have a huge Streisand collection. And I have, that was my thing. Like, mm, junior, senior year of high school, I was going around. That was what I was looking for when I would record shop, was just Streisand, so that I could build this collection. And then when my freshman year in college, we had little apartments that we'd stayed in. And then you had, like, your own bathroom. I had all those albums laminated. Uh. And then I hung them up. In, it was the wallpaper, basically, was Barbara Streisand <laughs> at all angles watching you on the toilet. That <laughs> was freshman year of college. I actually cheated when it came to Barbara Streisand. I, um, because um, in addition to collecting vinyl, uh, I will, of course, collect any other kind of obsolete media as well. So there Here were. Here come the tapes. Yeah, exactly. There, were, there was this one auction in particular where I bought. Um, basically five banker boxes full of open reel tapes. And they were all um, things that people had recorded off of albums. So they had recorded their album collection onto these open reel tapes. And there was one in particular that was, I believe, five Streisand albums. And uh, the Barbara Streisand album was one of them. And that was my first exposure to that album. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. Until then, it had been, you know, the Broadway album for me. I knew that and that kind the of The first thing. one, though, you mean 1985, yeah. not back to Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. And to go back to the beginning and be like, oh, so, oh, this, yes, this is an entirely different game. This is amazing. I even went for, I had a paper route growing up and there were, um, there were two instances where people, uh, subscribers on my route had put out boxes of stuff in their garage. One was a box of records and the other one was a box of eight tracks. And 
of course I saw them and was like, I think they're getting rid of those, but I'm not sure. So I had to play it cool and let it go a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And if the box was still there, then, you know, collection day came around and I'm just kind of like, well, you know, if you are, are you looking to throw those out? Oh yeah. I don't want those. Can I have them? Oh yeah, sure. Score. You of course make mistakes. There's nothing worse than thinking you've bought one album and getting home and there's a different album inside. The most recent, and I'm not, I'm not perfect. This happened to me recently. I went to a stoop sale in Brooklyn probably a year ago mm-hmm. and thought I was buying the Smokey Robinson album that has um, Cruisin' and got home and it wasn't that album. It was still uh, a Smokey Robinson album, but it was a uh, quiet storm instead, which initially I was like, oh shit, it's the wrong album but then listened to Quiet Storm and said, this album is amazing. There's also this uh, old uh, Capitol Records in the 50s to, I guess, get you to buy more Les Baxter and Jackie Gleason albums, put out this series of albums called Just for Variety, and it's all, you know, like one track from each of their artists on it. And I've seen up to 14 volumes of this series, and they're amazing compilations, first of all. But I've only seen them at two sales. And the second time I saw them, I was so excited that they were actually at the sale that I bought everything that they that this person had and got home. And there were a couple of duplicates in the, oh, the, wow. the vinyl was the wrong. They were still just for variety, but they were different. I volume numbers and terrible. I feel like a dork right now. <laughs> no, but this is what this is why I'm talking to you and not just like, well, someone like me, but who does it with CDs? There we go. No, I, that's why. I first received my parents' record collection, which was mostly Ray Conniff. And um, there was one Dusty Springfield and one uh, Four Seasons album in there, but it was mostly Ray Conniff. And- Please tell me We Wish You a Merry Christmas is in there. I didn't know. I didn't have that one. They did not have the, the Christmas album. It was all Honey, and it was later stuff. It was like 60s into the 70s when they started, you know, sounding generic and doing covers of Imagine and things like that. That was... But for some reason, the way that they were arranged on the shelf at my earliest memory became the way that they were arranged at first. And so I would add after that, as I got stuff really young and mm-hmm. you know filled filled the shelf in my closet at home dad built another shelf for me i filled that and then we got record racks in my room and i filled those as well and then got to a point where i couldn't find anything so it was like okay this this needs organization organization or intervention one of the two we had a jukebox nice growing up my dad bought it from our neighbor who i think sold maybe questionable as to the source, pinball machines and jukeboxes. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so <laughs> he bought this jukebox. Yeah. And we still have it. And we just had like all the labels in there. He was just writing stuff in. And then my mom would write stuff. And I would write stuff. Nice. One summer, I just could not stand the different handwritings anymore. <laughs> and I typed them all up. 
typed. <laughs> and this is not printed. This was 1993. Yeah. Typed. I had a typewriter, so it's like if I made a mistake, I had to start over. Uh, you know, and I did the, the song title in bold uh-huh. and then the artist not in bold. And and it looks so nice. <laughs> Finally. And now I can deal with the jukebox. <laughs> Finally. I'm okay with this. Yeah. As far as completing things, I also have a soft spot for what I call um, the Today albums. It seemed like every vocalist from the 40s and 50s, when it came to the 60s, they did, you know, Tony Bennett sings the songs of today. Mal Torme sings the song of today. And I'm always a sucker for one of those. Because sometimes sometimes it's hilariously awful, like the Tony Bennett album. It's Tony sings the great hits of today. And he's on the album. It's all orange, and there's just like this laugh-in-esque line drawing of him. And it's MacArthur Park, something, the look of love, here, there, and everywhere, live for life, little green apples, Eleanor Rigby, my Sharia Moore. Is that all there is here and sunrise, sunset? Which one of these things is not like the other, as far as I'm concerned. Um, wow. But Eleanor Rigby is... Um, gloriously awful he kind of speaks sings part of it and could care less about the rest of it he never wanted to do the album he never wanted to do a album of today's hits and was physically ill before the recording session because he uh was being forced into doing this and i think that i think the story goes that that led to the end of his contract momentarily with columbia um, and he went off and did some other things, but wow, yeah, but it's, it, it, sometimes it's gloriously awful. And then sometimes it's, it's actually kind of wonderful to have these different takes on these. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window. I have a, um, another kind of weird subset that I love is the stereo demonstration album when labels or stereo equipment manufacturers would put out these demonstration albums to demonstrate stereo for people who had what is this stereo thing um and sometimes most of the time they're just random tracks from like the RCA Victor catalog it's like you know here's the Glenn Miller Orchestra, followed by, you know, Peggy Lee, and then we're going to have uh, a Stravinsky piece. But sometimes, sometimes they are specially created things that have sound effects. And the one I'm thinking of in particular is an RCA Victor one uh, called Sounds in Space, and it has Ken Nordine as the kind of narrator. How am I going to demonstrate RCA's new stereophonic sound and you hear him walk from one speaker to the other and uh it's just wonderful i'm going to revise my five sounds in space goes in the in the five albums that i have to take with me the age of space is here and now rca victor brings you sound in space stereophonic sound This is a part called One Song. Let's hear a story that you connect a memory, however big or small, to a particular song. What's the song? Um, because we're recording this towards the holidays, this always comes up every year. My song is Wonderful Christmas Time by uh, mm. Paul McCartney. I was um, 15 
and uh, this was the Sunday before Christmas. I had a paper route at the time, and for Sunday papers, which were immense, my parents would help me basically drive me around on my route because I had 65, 70 papers and there was no way I could carry all of those. So the practice was to deliver all the papers. Then we go down and get donuts for Sunday and that kind of thing. Come back. Um, since I was 15, I was preparing for 16 and getting my learner's permit. And we had a long driveway mm-hmm. at home and our garage was kind of up in the back of the lot and the house was in the front of the lot. So, as kind of a pre-practice, my parents would let me, uh, we'd pull up to the back sidewalk, they would get out, and I would be able to drive the car the rest of the way and put it in the garage. So Sunday before Christmas, a little snow on the ground. Um, I'm feeling the Christmas spirit. I'm excited about Christmas coming. We do the paper route. We go get donuts. We come home, stop at the back sidewalk. My mom gets out and goes in. I get to take the car up the rest of the way, and Wonderful Christmas Time is playing on the radio bopping out excited make the little turn that's in our driveway and the next thing i know the car is going through the garage doors through the garage and out the back wall of the garage i somehow my foot slipped or i was just a stupid 15 year old and my foot went on the accelerator drove through and you know i remember the crash and then the next thing i the car is wedged in the back wall but i'm my 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 foot is all the way down on the gas and i'm spinning the tires in the garage on the cement floor and uh totally wrecked um our garage on the sunday before christmas my father uh was working nights at the time and was just about to come home so i remember just pacing in the driveway outside of the garage. Like Cameron in Ferris Bueller. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and so he comes home, pulls up and sees the wreckage. We didn't, I mean, couldn't move the car because the two garage doors are laying on top of the car. And he gets out and I remember him getting out of his truck and just kind of looking at the wreckage. And my mother comes up beside him and puts her arm around his waist and says, why don't you have a drink? And this is like 9 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and so oh so every time that I hear Wonderful Christmas Time, I uh, have a very strong reaction. It's to the point now where it's, I guess it's kind of a golden oldie. So it shows up in the Dwayne Reed all the time now. And I'll be, sh- oh, yeah, I'll be shopping Everywhere. and all of a sudden the synths will start and I, I go right back. And that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Thank you so much, Daniel Sears. Thank you, Dana. Uh, Record collector extraordinaire, filmmaker. Thank you so much. Thank you, darling. This has been the Soundtrack Series. Thanks for listening.